Welcome back to the Joshua Shaw audio experience. Firstly, thank you for giving me a bit of your attention. I'm honored you trusted me with it, and I promise to return the favor by giving you a ton of edutainment value back. My newest podcast episode runs through the lesser-known elements of Nike's current strategy that will undoubtedly show how all consumer brands will need to evolve over the next five to seven years. But before we get started, I would love if you took 45 seconds out of your day to leave a rating review on whichever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. This helps me out immensely in terms of extending the reach of my podcast, but more importantly, allows me to make improvements based on your feedback. Thank you again. Now enjoy my newest podcast episode. Nike has been providing a fucking masterclass on how all consumer brands will need to evolve over the next five to seven years. It probably doesn't need repeated, but Nike is the heavyweight champion of sports brands. There are a few brands that achieve ubiquity in popular culture like Nike. No matter where we turn, it always kind of feels like a swoosh is just around the corner, right? In this content, I'm not going to cover the Nike strategy basics, like how the product is the most important marketing tool or the attachment to the world's most influential athletes or maybe even the exceptional brand storytelling skills of Nike. Yes, all of those are extremely important. And yes, Nike will continue to focus on those strategic elements likely for the entire business life cycle. But you already know about those fundamental strategies, right? So in this content, I'm actually going to be focusing on several current kind of lesser known Nike business strategies that I believe will be key to overcoming the increasingly crowded and changing marketplace. These are the business strategies that will make Nike an even more impressive company and extend their market leadership over the next decade. But before I do that, I do want to give a quick shout out to the sponsor of this content, Ghost Lifestyle. I've been a huge supporter of this sports and active nutrition brand since they initially launched in 2016. If you've paid any attention to Ghost over those years, you can easily kind of notice how inspirational Nike has been to the founders and the entire team. From the sneakers and fashion worn at the office to infusing different Nike business strategies in the sports nutrition industry. So if you are interested in grabbing a few of the Ghost products, you can do so on ghostlifestyle.com or through national retailers like the Vitamin Shop and GNC. So why do I think Nike is giving every consumer brand a masterclass on their needed evolution? Well, let's start at something that happened in June of 2020. This is when Nike officially announced its consumer direct acceleration plan. This strategy is focused on speeding up the prioritization of the direct to consumer channel, which sounds like a big old duh, or what took them so long, right? Well, not so fast with the judgment, my friends, because Nike has been actually working on this secretly since 2011. That's when they mentioned in their annual report that they do continue seeing growth in revenue through their direct-to-consumer channel. Nike knew that to continue their dominance in the market, they would need to make a large shift in their sales channel strategy. I think the main kind of positives of a direct-to-consumer pivot is widely known, so I won't bore you with those details. But 
Nike impressively did guard for the downside risk with this pivot. And I think it's important for me to kind of expand a little bit further on that. I've often said that if you control your distribution, you're going to control the destiny of your business. That's kind of easy to say, but what about when large consumer brands like Nike create almost all of their revenue through the wholesale partnerships? Nike focusing on direct consumer means they are more directly competing against their channel partners. This is otherwise known as channel conflict and can be explained as any dispute difference or discord arising between two or more channel partners where one of the partner's activities or operations affect the business, sales, profitability, market share, or similar goal associated with the other channel partner. Channel conflict is a very real risk. The stronger the brand, maybe the less worrisome it is, but shifting focus to direct-to-consumer will cause channel conflict for everybody. So, how did Nike minimize channel conflict beyond having just a very strong brand? Well, firstly, I think we need to consider the timeline for a second. This sales channel shift has been going on for more than a decade. If you really think about it, the entire business model needed to be overhauled to handle this strategic decision. Nike had the planning foresight and trust that they were kind of seeing around the corner, I guess, which allowed them to not make any hasty moves. Most consumer brands try and flip the switch too aggressively, in my opinion. The longer the timeline for change, the easier it is to manage any downside risk. Secondly, Nike went through an extensive retailer rationalization process called the Consumer Direct Offense Strategy, which was announced in 2017 as a five-year plan to focus growth on 40 strategic retail partners and its own direct-to-consumer. They rated and ranked kind of all of the channel partners to understand if they were value accretive or dilutive to their new strategic plan. Those that were value dilutive, Nike started editing the account portfolio. They have reduced their wholesale accounts by more than 50% over the last four years. This includes like very big retail names like Belk, Dillard's, Zappos, DSW, Urban Outfitters, Macy's, and Big Five Sports, just to kind of name a few of the undifferentiated wholesale accounts that Nike stopped selling to. And I intentionally kind of left off Amazon because I don't think that the decision is the same as the above retailers. And I think that this decision could ultimately be reversed in the future. And if you are interested in maybe like the detail around what happened between Nike and Amazon in late 2019, I'll pop up a video for you guys that I did on that subject here. So you guys can kind of watch that one. I'll also leave the link to that content in this content's description. Now, those sales channel partners that were deemed as value accretive, Nike will focus on deepening those partnerships and driving growth through them. Nike wants to work with strategic partners that see the same future as they do and want to and are willing to share membership data so that they can together deliver a very seamless and personalized experience to the consumers. The biggest announcement in this area has been with Dick Sporting Goods. In late 2021, it was announced that Dick Sporting Goods and Nike would be tying together their loyalty programs within the Dick Sporting Goods app so customers of both can receive loyalty perks 
from both of the retailers. And while the physical retail side of the one Nike marketplace strategy is very interesting and includes a few more components, I'm going to skip over any discussion around Nike branded physical stores because that isn't as kind of applicable to my target audience within the CPG industry. But if you are curious about how Nike is creating retail stores that reflect the vibe of the communities they serve along with Nike's vibe as well, let me know in the comments section and maybe I'll do a follow-up. But that being said, I did want to shift this conversation into the other side of the one Nike marketplace strategy, which is Nike Digital. This is where Nike has more control over how its brand is presented and allows them to create a brand experience that's truly special. The family of Nike apps, which includes sneakers, Nike Training Club, Nike Run Club, and kind of a few other ones, are really gateways for people to get closer to the brand in ways that resonate specifically to them. Delivering personalized content across sport and shopping, Nike's digital presence recognizes that sport culture is a diverse, inclusive world that includes fashion, fitness, music, and more, and it offers everyone a meaningful way to be engaged and involved. And that brand engagement could also be through a virtual world. In December of 2021, Nike acquired Artifact, which goes by the acronym RTFKT a leading brand that leverages cutting-edge innovation to deliver next-generation collectibles that merge culture and gaming. This digital shoe company acquisition might have you kind of scratching your head a little bit, but consider this. There is a physical world social construct that your clothing, appearance, what you eat or drink, maybe what you buy, what car you drive, maybe what type of house you bought, it matters. It actually matters a lot. And if you like it or not, all these things quickly give others an idea of what they should expect from you. That doesn't stop in the virtual worlds. And I argue that social currency will actually matter more in the metaverse. Additionally, Nike built a metaverse experience called Nike Land that has attracted 6.7 million people from 224 countries since it launched in November on the Roblox platform. This is an important move by Nike because audiences that are engaged in metaverse-based platforms are among the most loyal and passionate. And while the metaverse maybe is too early for most people that are consuming this content, it does make a lot of sense for a brand that wants to serve athletes and creators at the intersection of sport, creativity, gaming, and culture. Talking about how powerful generational changes can impact a brand, which virtual worlds are, and maybe even in the sense of sustainability, Nike is also showing a deep commitment to sustainability. The strongest brands can and should own more of their circular ecosystem. Imagine a value chain that includes product design, materials, manufacturing, shipping, retail, and product takebacks with no beginning or end. Waste is a main resource for new materials, virgin materials are bio-based, and the manufacturing process itself creates zero carbon emissions. This is the true circular system that's a long-term aim for Nike. But I just want to end on some quick final thoughts. Nike has acknowledged that today's purchase journey is fragmented, and there are multiple touch points that go into a customer's consideration process. 
Within this interconnected experience, Nike has a strong sense of the purpose that each of its channels serve. They're in front of the curve and making bets on where the consumer is going. The same bets that you'll likely need to make in your brand to not only thrive, but simply survive across the 2020s. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast episode. If you have any comments or questions about anything I discussed during it, open the podcast episode notes and click on any of my social media account links to reach out to me directly.